Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Back Room. I'm Andy Ostroy. Very excited for today's guest, Stephen Hassan. We will get to Stephen shortly. But first, thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate you listening. And we'd love to hear your comments. So email us at backroomandy at gmail.com and or post on our social media, and we'll share some feedback next time. And if you like the podcast, please follow or subscribe to be notified every time we post a new episode. All right, let's bring on Stephen. He is an author and mental health professional who is considered one of the world's foremost experts on mind control and cults. He is the founder of the Freedom of Mind Resource Center, which provides training, consulting, and support to individuals who are struggling to leave or recover from a cult and to families and organizations that are concerned about cult behaviors. He has been working in the field of relationship, group, and political cults for over 40 years, and it's a subject he knows about firsthand. At age 19, while a student at New York's Queens College, he was recruited into Sung Young Moon's Unification Church, where he spent over two years. His latest book is called The Cult of Trump. Stephen, welcome into the back room. Thanks, Andy, for having me on. I'm really excited to talk with you because cults and cultism is something that is really interesting, really fascinating to me. I've watched so many documentaries about cults. I have a friend who actually, uh, you provided a blurb on his book jacket, Spencer Schneider. Uh, oh, okay. I've yeah. Known, I've known I Spencer know, for 40 years. He's been on this podcast and I've, I've got to know his story, which is kind of crazy. So we're in a place in America today where cultism is so much a part of our culture because of Trumpism. And of course, your book is The Cult of Trump. So I want to talk with you about that shortly. But I just want to sort of go back in time a little bit. You are not only one of the nation's top experts on cults, you yourself were in a cult. You were part of the Unification Church back in the 70s, Sun Young Moon's Unification Church. That occurred when you were a student at Queens College. That's when you were re rec recruited. Um, what was your life like before recruitment? Sure. So I, uh, conservative Jewish upbringing, two older sisters. My dad had a hardware business. He had been a professional musician, but he decided when he got married, he wanted to be more responsible and earn a living. And my mom was an art teacher. I was, a uh, skipped eighth grade and was very interested in creative writing. I wrote poetry and short stories, liked women. I was kind of bookwormish because I liked to read books. I liked to learn. Mm -hmm. I was definitely not interested in switching religions or dropping out of college or turning my back on my family and friends, much less throwing out all my original poetry, which I did. And just to go back to your intro, I became a cult expert because of my experience. And I became a right-wing fascist. I came to believe the Jews needed to die in the Holocaust because they didn't accept Jesus, wow. which was completely contrary to everything that I grew up with and values. I've been to Israel and and Yad Vashem, and did an archaeological dig in the Negev Desert for college credit. And I hated Richard Nixon, and I was in the last draft lottery to go to Vietnam and protested the Vietnam War. 
And then I get into the cult. My girlfriend had dumped me. These women were pretending to be students. They came to my table at the cafeteria between breaks between classes and flirted with me. And I thought I was going to get lucky. And I got out of the group two and a half years later after a near fatal van crash due to sleep exhaustion. And so let's um, just, let's just stop there for a second. Cause I'm really fascinated sure. about the recruitment part. Yep. Uh, so we know that you had been dumped by your girlfriend. So that obviously as a young man probably took its toll emotionally. 19 yeah, hormones, I mean, God, man. You're, you're d dumped by a girl at 19. It's like the end of the world, right? Well, she was a model. She was pretty special. Uh -huh. And she was just like, I don't want to see you anymore with right. no explanation. And it was like a big confusion. Did you feel vulnerable or depressed or susceptible yeah, in any say, great way? Yeah, I would say that I was hurt. And I wouldn't say I was depressed in the clinical sense, but I was definitely ready to meet someone else. So when three women were flirting and smiling and asking to share my table and they were said they were students, which was a lie. And I bicycled cross country when I was 16, six feet tall. I used to pick up hundred pound bags of rock salt in my father's hardware store and stuff. So I was pretty cocky, I guess, where I didn't imagine anyone could brainwash me or make me do anything that I didn't want to do. What was the technique for them to get past, hey, we're just three good-looking girls that you think were flirting? Lying was huge, and my father gave me bad advice from his time in the hardware store. He said, Steve, you can tell when people are lying, their eyes are shifty. And these women were looking me straight in the eyes and smiling. And so you thought they so were that... just totally genuine? I had no, I had no spidey sense that this was a bad thing at all. Mm. And it was typical recruitment because I went on to become a recruitment, you know, using myself to recruit women in and women recruited men in. And the term that was used was love bombing, uh, you know, giving a effusive praise and you're so special. We want you to meet our friends. You're so cool. You're so smart uh, and those types of things. And they said, oh, we, we share a house with people from all over the world. Why don't you come over for dinner? It would be really fun to introduce you to our friends. And I wasn't doing anything that night. And so I said, sure, why not? And again, it was not, we believe in a fat Korean bil billionaire being the Messiah and you're going to give up your entire life and worship him. Uh, as your true parents and your parents are really satanic. And by the way, you know, you'll be possessed by demons a la exorcist movie, which was part of my indoctrination where I talk about the importance of phobias being installed in members' minds mm -hmm. to rob them of the capacity for rational exiting of the group. And in my case, I was selected by some of the leaders as leadership material. So I got to have meetings with Moon and other top leaders. And um, so I got to be in the room as later Moon was talking about democracy being satanic mm -hmm. and how 
when we take power in America, we'll amend the Constitution and make it a capital offense for people to have sex outside of the unification, arranged marriages and other, you know, just totally fascist, crazy stuff. And I should also just jump, if you don't mind, Andy, to uh, after January 6th, Trump gave a speech extolling the Moonies, how great they are, got two million bucks for it. Pence only got 550000 for the same virtual event. And I should say Pompeo and Esper, too, mm -hmm. got paid to extol the Moonies. And people don't understand. They own the Washington Times. Like, they have been the media conduit for massive disinformation for decades and and the paper never made money for decades. And uh, the Washington Post estimated there was some $2 billion over decades in the Washington Times. One has to go, who's paying for this? And like, what's the agenda here? Oh, it's conservative paper. Ha, ha, ha. And they were saying it was Antifa attacking the Capitol buildings. It's based Unbelievable. I've heard you say before that smart people also join cults. The uh, social psychology talks about the fundamental attribution error, which is a universal bias. When people are trying to understand other people, they tend to over-attribute personality and disposition and underestimate social influence mm -hmm. processes. So the other way of saying it is we're human beings, we're social and information matters, and we can trust untrustworthy people, and our minds can be hacked. So how does a smart guy from a conservative Jewish family, because and I ask this as a Jew myself, sitting mm -hmm. in a room with two other Jews, I'm assuming that you identified with your family's yeah. religious beliefs. How does that young kid get to Jews deserve to die in the Holocaust? To help explain that point where you are just in hook, line, and sinker, and logic no longer matters? Uh, so it was a process, and I will say that I believe that sleep deprivation is a big factor. Social manipulation and control is a big factor. I created a model that I refer to as the bite model mm -hmm. of authoritarian control that kind of does a laundry list of behavior control variables, information control, mm -hmm. thought control, and emotional Emotions. control uh -huh. variables. But in my story, I basically was meeting these people. They invited me over for dinner. Then they started the, the heavy pressure. We're going away this weekend. Come on with us. It's going to be so much fun. And my reaction was, I work as a banquet waiter at the Holiday Inn in Hempstead. That's how I make my money as a college student. I'm not free on weekends. Sorry. And, but, but please, it's going to be so great. And, and I'm like, I'm sorry. This is, you know, I need gas money. And this is, you know, this is how I, I pay my bills. And it just so happened that three days later, I would always call to say, you know, because I, they would do weddings and bar mitzvahs and other events, so it would be different uh, each weekend. But my boss said, oh, they canceled the weekend, uh, the wedding, take the weekend off. Wow. That very weekend. So it was one of those, that's weird. 
Fate. And well, they invited me. Maybe I should go because mm -hmm. I'm not doing anything now. So, and then when I went with them in their van, big mistake. I left my car at their house and I went somewhere. I didn't know where I was going. This was way before cell phones were invented, I might add. This was February of 1974. By the way, Andy, the same month Patty Hearst was kidnapped by mm. the Symbionese Liberation Army at gunpoint, I got deceptively recruited. So we're driving in a van through this multi-million dollar estate in um, Tarrytown, New York. And the person at the front of the van says, oh, by the way, this weekend we're having a joint workshop with the Unification Church. And I immediately said, whoa, 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 whoa. No one said anything about a workshop. Nobody said anything about a church. I'm Jewish. I'm not interested. I want to go back to Queens. Yeah, and, and then they did the t the typical mind control technique where where they turned it around on me. Oh, what's the matter, Steve? Do you have an issue with Christians? Mm. And they tried to make me feel guilty that I had that reaction. And it had been snowing. It was February. It was freezing cold. I didn't have a phone, didn't have my car. I'm like, I want to go back. Like, drive me now. <laughs> and they were like, we're not going back tonight. We'll go in the morning. Why don't you stay for the evening and we'll take you back in the morning. And I thought, what are my options? I can scream and yell. I can get out of the van and start hitchhiking in the pitch black darkness and the freezing cold or I'll stay uh, the night. And of course I didn't sleep a wink that night. And then when I woke up, I'm like, where's the van? I'm ready to go. Oh, so sorry. It left. Uh, it'll be back later. Why don't you go have breakfast? And it was, it was this kind of incremental manipulation. But again, I didn't, I didn't even dawn on me. This is a cult or anything like that. Um, I had asked the women the first meeting at Queens College, I said, are you part of a religious thing or anything? And they said, oh, no, not at all. We're just students. So it wasn't in my mind. These people are systematically deceiving to, to manipulate me. But it's interesting uh, that did... that thought was in your head, though, that you were concerned enough to ask that question, but yet I... still got sucked yep. into it. Yeah, I remember asking, are you part of some religious group? And I can't tell you why I asked that question, but they were very congruent liars mm -hmm. and were very convincing. And and so the way the Moonies work is they, they want to capture your attention, surround you with other members, and they break you down, and then they start filling your mind up with some of their ideas. And the three-day workshop, I didn't know it was a three-day workshop till the end of the second day when I'm like, it's Monday, tomorrow I have classes. When are we going back to New York? And they're like, oh, how could you leave now? The most important day. Everything is leading to the crescendo of what's going to be today. You can't mm -hmm. leave now type of thing. And... um and I remember the experience of feeling overloaded and confused. Mm -hmm. You know, the the Led Zeppelin song, Dazed and Confused, comes to mind. 
And but I at the very end of the third day, the lecturer does the hypnotic. Well, you've been hearing a lot of deep things this weekend, and maybe there's a part of you that thinks it's a bunch of rubbish. But on the other hand, <laughs> what if? What? And they do it three times. What if? What if it's true? Could you walk away? Jesus, I'm almost hypnotized right now. Just, 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 and I was just looking no, at you. Uh, like, it, 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 I'm not it, joining the cult, it, Stephen. Okay, whatever you're selling, I'm not buying. But that, but that was the last thing. And I'm telling that I, and I gave mm -hmm. a little bit of the voice tonality of what was done mm -hmm. because after that, they, they had us breaking up into small groups where they were going to convince us to stay for the seven day workshop the next morning. And I got, I just got angry and I'm like, I'm leaving. Let me out of here. I want to go home now. And, you know, and they just tried their best. And the louder I got, the more they segregated me. And I'm like, I need to leave now, now. So how does that anger, that concern, that fear, how does that get so repressed that you, you put all your guard I'm down? I'm a nice guy, but it was like they kept delaying me, delaying me, giving me BS stuff at that point i really felt like my mind was exploding i needed to get the hell out of there was if anyone who's listening to this ever had a bad trip uh it would be something like oh my goodness this is dangerous i need to get out of here uh that's why i don't drop acid i i'd end up working for trump or something crazy like that well, so it turns out mind control scrambles your brain and really disconnects your critical uh, faculties and your decision making. But the point is, is I got I got out of there. They brought me back to Queens. They tried me once again to talk to me. I got in my car and I got home and my parents were like, where were you? We were so worried. It's not like you to tell us, you know, to disappear. And not say where you're going to be. Are you on drugs? They said to me. I said, I don't think they gave me any drugs. She's, my mom said, let's go talk to the rabbi. And I'm like, fine. Uh, but I wasn't interested in converting or joining a cult. I was just confused. But that, that thing about what if God is trying to save the planet. Three times. And. And, and in Judaism, there is this notion of the Moshiach, you know, that will bring peace on earth. You know, we, we don't believe Jesus was that person for many reasons, but someone who's going to bring peace on earth. So I went to the rabbi and he was clueless, thought I wanted to become a Christian, which I had no interest in doing. And, but that, that had been put inside my head. And, um, I said this to Spencer, actually going back to his cult experience, his cult was, was using a, another guru person named Gurdjieff, uh, and that material. And I had been reading that cause my neighbor was into Gurdjieff. So I was reading uh, one of Ospensky's books and I was sitting in my, in my bed 
room on my bed and I picked up one of uh, Ospensky's book and I opened it and the, the paragraph that my eyes looked at talked about, you know, how there are cycles of history and, you know, liberating people show up to help guide humanity. And my brain put those two things together, like, well, Gurdjieff's dead. Uh, maybe there is a Messiah coming. They didn't say anything about Moon, by the way. That was like not mentioned at all, uh, or you know, a Korean nope. Just that the Messiah is going to come from the east somewhere. Anyway, um, yeah, my mind got hacked, buddy. <laughs> so do you and, do you recall the moment where it all started to make sense to you what they were feeding you? And you started to question everything about your life up to that point? Like, did you know when you were um, in, when you got in? Well, so the, the appeal at the beginning isn't to commit your life. The appeal is to study more and learn more. Uh, but it was after that event in my bedroom that I thought, maybe I need to learn more about this thing. So maybe I'll take this next weekend off and go back and this time actually pay attention to what they're teaching. Because when I, when I was there, it, it seemed childish. It seemed to be not make a lot of sense to me. Um, there was a lot of ups and there was a lot of downs and there was a lot of that kind of talking, you know. Uh, but I knew nothing about hypnosis at that point. I've since become an expert in hypnosis uh, uh, along my journey of learning about social psychology and brainwashing and thought reform. But I'd say um, it was about three months in that I think that that I I uh, I, I I committed mm. to to the group. And I had been separated from my family and friends. I had been surrounded by them. I was sleeping three to four hours a night. And, um, and what's so tricky, and, and Spencer would agree, uh, the people, the other members are really nice and they're smart. Many are from Ivy League colleges and, you know, good professions. They're not stupid people. And, um, there was hope that the planet was going to, you know, get better than what was happening at the time. At what point, you were in it for a couple of years, at what point did it stop making sense to you? Did you start thinking, this is not healthy, this is wrong, and I've got to get out? Oh, so my story, uh, which is longer than we can do here, is that I fell asleep at the wheel of a fundraising van in Baltimore, Maryland, drove into the back of a tractor trailer truck at 80 miles an hour. Some people, by the uh, way, fantasize about Trump doing that. I'm just throwing that out politically. So, <laughs> Yeah, he, does, he wouldn't drive himself. But in any case, uh, I was uh, rescued by emergency crews. They thought the van would blow up. I was in more pain than I'd ever felt in my life. And then I was in a hospital away from the cult for two weeks, sleeping. Mm. And it was that that I credit heavily. I wasn't having any doubts because I had a Mooney identity that was so uh, fanatical that I, it, all of my real self was suppressed. But 
I did reach out to my sister, Thea. I have two older sisters, and Thea was the only person in my life that didn't try to talk me out of the group or say I was an occult or say that I was brainwashed. She always just said, I don't understand, and I miss you. Mm. <laughs> I want you in my life. So when that happened, when, they, uh, when the accident happened and I was really messed up and I couldn't work for the group until my body healed, I called her and she said, I miss you. You have a nephew you haven't met yet. I want him, I want him to know his uncle Stevie, which is how she you know, referred to me when I was very, very young. And I said, well, if you don't tell the parents, I can arrange for a visit because I was a leader. So I was able to arrange for a visit. Thankfully, she did tell my parents. They did hire some ex-moonies and they took my crutches away when I was sitting in her living room on her sofa and proceeded to say, we want to talk to you about the moon organization. And I thought, Satan, Satan, get out of my way, Satan. And, um, and the, I didn't call into the group as prearranged, so they knew something was up. There was a lot of fear about deprogramming back in the 70s. And, um, and then I, and I kept asking to speak with my mom, who was always, you know, a soft touch for her little boy. Uh, to manipulate, and I was going to, you know, basically threaten that she'd never hear from me again if they, if she didn't release me. And my father needed to get me out of my sister's house because the Moonies were coming to get me because they were kept calling. Mm -hmm. And so he said, "Yeah, let's go see mom." So we got in the, the car. I was in the back seat with my leg across the the back seat with my dad in the front driving and two of the ex-members in the front. And I'm driving on the Long Island Express. So you're from New York? I grew Andy? up in Far Rockaway. So yeah, we're- Far Rockaway. I'm driving on the Long Island Expressway mm -hmm. from my sister's house. And, and we missed the exit for Utopia Parkway, which would have been to get to my parents' house where I was living. And my first thought was, my father lied to me. We're not going home. I need to kill him. And I thought about reaching over behind and snapping his neck in a moving car on the Long Island Expressway. And I, I remember thinking that for a good couple of minutes. And then I started thinking, but they would never break me. I'm a true disciple. Satan could never. This is a test. Satan could never get to me. Then my father drives to another location where the deprogramming is going to finish, you know, can proceed. And I see these football player physique people walking to the car that are going to escort me to the new location. And I basically, my father's turned around, you know, on, in the front seat. And I basically say to him, if you think you're going to make me go in there, I am going to be so violent, I will kill everybody or you will have to kill me and my blood will be on your hands. And my father looked me straight in the eye and he started to cry. <laughs> I was like, gulp. Because that was a moment where my authentic self knew my father genuinely was worried about me. 
my cult self was like, he's been brainwashed by the communist media against father. But he said, how would you feel if it was your son, your only son, who drops out of college, quits his job and joins a controversial group? And he has a tear running down his, and I put myself into his shoes and tried to imagine the two and a half years, because they barely saw me for that period. And I, I came up with the equation, I would probably be doing what you're doing now. Not that I had any doubts or I wanted to leave, but I understood he had been brainwashed. So I was, so I said, what I said, probably I'd do what you're doing now. What do you want from me? And my father just said, I want you to listen with an open mind for the next few days. And then if you want to go back, I'll drive you there myself, but at least your mother and I will be able to sleep at night knowing we did the responsible thing. Mm. So for me, it became voluntary at that moment because I wanted to prove to them I wasn't in a cult and I wasn't brainwashed. I was that sure of my faith and my commitment and my knowledge of the ideology. And so I promised not to run away or call the police and that I would listen. So to answer your question, several days later, uh, next to the last day, they were making parallels with Hitler. And I remember getting so angry at one point, I'm going to get loud for a second of preparation for your listeners. I said, Hitler's like Hitler. I chose him to follow him and I'll follow him to the yeah. end. And then I had this, this thing go down my spine. But I still wasn't out, but there was something going on unconsciously that I would react saying, I didn't care if Moon was like Hitler. So I still didn't have any conscious doubts, just that bodily mm -hmm. sensation after I got so angry. The last day was going to be finished. And the ex-members handed me one of Moon's speeches to congressmen and senators where he they said, take a look at this. Tell us what you think, Steve. So I'm reading and Moon is saying, uh, you know, I'm surprised that, that Americans could imagine that me, Reverend Moon, a Korean, could brainwash American youth. I respect Americans very much, and I am surprised that these accusations, I'm reading these words printed by the cult, and I have the first negative thought in two and a half years. And I think, what a liar. Because mm. I had heard him personally a hundred, at least a hundred times talk about how, how pathetic Americans were and how dirty our minds were and how he needed to brainwash us. And, and as soon as I thought he's a liar, then I thought, well, then he's not trustworthy. And then I thought, then he couldn't be a man of God because the God we teach in the divine principle is a God of truth. So it sounds and like it, it was had, just one thread that needed to be pulled. It was, it was what was referred to back then as a snapping moment, mm -hmm. which was part of the deprogramming um, uh, model back then was kind of like barrage the person till they crack. 
kind of thing. Like I had a lot of information thrown at me that mm -hmm. I was blocking, blocking, blocking. It was very traumatizing, I might add. But when I started having those doubts, it felt like I was in a dark room and somebody lifted the shades and the sun started coming in. And simultaneously, I felt like I was on a skyscraper and I was just falling. I wasn't hitting the bottom, but I just left the top of the apex of the skyscraper. I didn't know who I was or what I was doing. I was out of control and I just cried for three hours straight. It was Back. pretty traumatic, Andy. Oh, I, I can imagine it was for not just you, but, you know, as a parent, as a grandparent, like I can't fathom having that kind of situation in my family, especially with one of my children. When you look back on those years, and even though you were young and impressionable and you got out, I mean, you got to look back and go, how did I ever get to a place where I could believe such nonsense, such horror? Oh, I've spent 47 years answering that question. <laughs> I, I, I think I have my answers now of how how it works. Mm -hmm. And and I might also add, I became a licensed mental health counselor and the methods got way more gentle and respectful and ethical. Those, you know, not breaking any laws by holding people against their will. So let's bring it into the modern day. Okay. We are living in an age of Trump. You wrote a book, The Cult of Trump. And a lot of us have thought Trumpism is cultism for years, so the signs seem obvious. The traits are there. Everything is there. The question becomes, with everything we know, how do people still look at some godlike figure that they've made in their brains who tells them all kinds of nonsense, who makes them do things against their own best interests, who cuts them off from family, who cuts them off from everything that they thought they valued, how does that happen again? Because Trumpism is a cult, is it not? Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, what I want to say is that we live in an age of uh, digital age with artificial intelligence. When I was recruited, it was very um, unsophisticated compared to what's happening now. Uh, and I can tell you, I was invited to an Aspen Institute invitation only meeting in, in the summer of 2015 to discuss how ISIS was recruiting online and being so effective and how mm -hmm. the state department counterterrorism, Rich Stengel was in the room. Madeleine Albright was in the room. A lot of luminaries were in the room, as well as Monica Biggert from Facebook and Scott Armstrong from Google were in the room discussing how do are they doing this? And there was a fellow who had been developed an AI system, open source AI system. This is 2015, who had been hired to track how ISIS does it. And he said, uh, to us, he said, think of STDs. And we look at each other like sexually transmitted diseases. What are you talking about? He said, the more sex you have with someone who has syphilis, the more likely you are to contract it. He said, this is how ISIS is doing it. 
They meet people online. Maybe they're video gaming. Maybe they're on a dating website or whatever. And they find out information about them. And then they invite them to come off the platform and have meetings. And then they swarm, which is a version of what happened to me of love bombing. It's called swarming. But this guy showed us his system where he could monitor memes worldwide in real time in 20 different languages. And we were blown away at the sophistication of this hardware. Long story short, the U.S. government never bought his stuff. He And I said to him, you know, there's a presidential election next year. Like, this is really powerful stuff. You can track a meme and you can divert a meme and you can know what everybody is doing. And he's like, yeah. And I said, so what's, what, what are you going to do about the presidential election? He said, oh, Hillary's people only want to give us 10000 a month. I can't pay my electricity bill for that. I said, oh, so I hope you're not going to go to the dark side, is what I said to him. And he said, I don't want to, but I have partners. And then he went dark. Hmm. And then two years later, he, he sold his company, he said. And later we found out about Cambridge Analytica mm -hmm. hacking Facebook, getting all this private data. And I'm sure I am in my heart of hearts that that Trump or Putin or the Mercers, certainly who put Bannon in place and Kelly and Co got a hold of this system. And it's just getting more and more sophisticated and people are addicted to their smartphones. Mm -hmm and their platforms. So people are getting messages tailored to the 5,000 data points that have been collected on every voting American. And people are not educated to understand how much we're being manipulated unconsciously by nefarious agents. That's how people are getting into radicalization and are still in the Trump cult today. In so, my opinion. So speaking of nefarious agents, let's talk about Trump. What is his special sauce? What is it about him? Why is he so desirable, so attractive, so godlike? Why is he the Messiah to these people? So that's a good question. When I was asked by my book agent to do this book, and it was published by Simon and Schuster, all I knew when I when I agreed to the assignment was that Trump was a malignant narcissist and that that was the stereotypical profile of every cult leader I'd ever studied. And that's a term that Eric Fromm in the 40s coined about not just the narcissism, but the thinking you're above the law, the pathological lying, the sadistic, the paranoid, or the whole list, which is on myfreedomofmind.com website. And, and indeed, I did a chapter comparing him with Moon and Hubbard of Scientology and Jim Jones. Um, but when, what I realized as I was researching the book is that the cult is comprised of authoritarian cults, many of which are religious cults. And the biggest one in chapter seven, I talk about the family that Jeffrey Charlotte has written two books about mm -hmm. and a Netflix series called The Family. Mm -hmm. The Moonies were called the family also. Many cults were. Um, uh, Opus Dei, which is a right-wing Catholic cult. 
But the biggest body of, in, of, of cult members in the United States is what we call New Apostolic Reformation churches and megachurches. The media has gotten this wrong by reporting their Christian evangelicals. These are mind control authoritarian cults where the leaders claim to be a prophet or an apostle. Mm -hmm. They get direct revelations from God, they claim. They speak in tongues, they claim. They cast out demons, they claim. They do faith healings and they control behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions. And just in, as in the Moonies, I was convinced that Satan was the God of this world and I couldn't trust anything outside of the bubble of following my leader moon mm -hmm. these people are following their prophet or apostles and they're the ones who said trump won the election in 2020 mainstream media is lying the democrats are all traffickers and they pedophiles and so they do thought stopping they have phobias in their mind that if they leave so um, the messaging that the mainstream media has been doing is counterproductive. And I would add, when people attacked me as a Mooney and said I was a moron or I was in a cult, it made my faith stronger. Right. I felt persecuted. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what's happening. And I've been saying forever, saying Family and friends need to reach out to their loved ones who've been radicalized, be warm, remind them of your relationship, and be curious and ask questions. Don't try to throw facts at them. Ask questions. And I'm using a lot of what worked in my deprogramming, like the emotionality. How would you feel if it, you were in my place? Mm -hmm. the, the switch perspective technique, the... And what worked for me eventually to get through was explaining Chinese communist brainwashing. And I didn't mention that when I was telling you my Hitler story, but that was before the Hitler story. We were going through Robert J. Lifton's eight criteria in his 1961 book, interviewing people coming out of Mao's thought reform programs. And the Moonies did all of the eight things. And it was like, this is odd because they're satan and we're god mm -hmm. <laughs> it still didn't still didn't connect mm -hmm. but the point is talking to maga trump um cult members talking about chinese communist brainwashing and explaining b-i-t-e to them or talking about pimps and traffickers and how they recruit groom people and indoctrinate them to become slaves you can have a conversation and ask questions that parallel those cultic authoritarian situations with what they're in, because the parallels are astoundingly there. Mm -hmm. is, and the point is that you want to empower people to reality test. You don't want to try to persuade them that they right. were wrong. I think it's one of those things that is, for many reasons, easier said than done. I mean, I just look at my own life. I have people in my life, in my family, that I've tried to have logical you know just recently somebody said to me biden is destroying the world and i said okay how and it was like well i'm not gonna argue with you 
Like, I, it's not an argument. It's just well, explain, well, so the, you know. I care about you. You're intelligent. You're my uncle. You're my brother, whatever. I really would like you to take a moment and think about it and explain it to me because I'm prepared to change my mind and accept what mm. you believe. That's another critical piece is modeling open-mindedness mm. and having a confidence in your ability to talk and talk about these subjects without getting triggered and angry yeah. at the person. Look at these 50 videos, do the research. You say, yeah. pick one, pick one, let's watch it together. And then it'll be my turn to pick one and we'll watch it together and discuss it. And we'll go back and forth because all that matters is what's true. It's true and I, I agree with you 100%. I can only speak for myself, but I think like so many of us are just so exhausted by the last nine years and are angry about what we've seen and yep. experienced. And what you're suggesting just requires so much patience and empathy and compassion. And yep. it's hard to have those things when you see people scaling the Capitol like Spider-Man and beating the shit out of cops and worshiping a guy like Trump. So if there was an all-star team of cult leaders, Sun Young Moon, Charles Manson, David Koresh, Jim Jones, etc. Is he in that group? Does he possess the classic qualities in your mind of a cult leader? Or is there something yeah. different going Malignant on? Malignant narcissist. So it steps back to that. Yeah, but but understand Mark Burnett mm -hmm. uh, of uh, the, the survivors and Shark Tank. Mm -hmm. He's the head of of uh, media for the Seven Mountain Dominionism of this Christian right wing NAR cult that I was describing. And so Mark Burnett was grooming Trump in the public eye of, of believing he's a successful businessman and all of this other crap that he isn't. And I interviewed Craig Unger and Yuri Schwetz, former KGB official. Uh, Craig wrote a book called American Compromise. And Yuri said, oh, we recruited Trump decades ago mm. and, and gave details of, uh, 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 of how he had been recruited by Russia. And the, the media doesn't want to talk about Russia. And, but the, think about it. Remember when in Helsinki, when, when, when Trump was with Putin and sure. said, I trust him. Right. And I don't trust the I CIA and the would. FBI and the home. Yeah. How, you know, come on. But or is it that the media doesn't call me and he had a, a celebration in the Oval Office with only Russian media wouldn't let American media mm -hmm. in it. Wasn't that a little tell? Mm -hmm. But is it that the media doesn't talk about it or they did talk about it and so many people just don't care? So it's like pissing in the I, wind after I worry about corporate media and the whole model of selling advertising and not wanting to upset maybe advertisers or political parties that are spending a lot of money on ads. Mm -hmm. And this notion of like stirring up fear and anger to get people's uh, paying attention to the, what is on their particular channel versus, you know what? We really need, um, uh, this is a mental health emergency mm -hmm. on the planet and authoritarians are, are understanding how to manipulate minds at a level that everyone else is like, hmm. And we're, we're, some of us are going, we have no data protection. 
people that can hack our choices and put it in the dark web and sell it to third parties mm -hmm. to manipulate our minds. That's the world we're living in right now. Mm -hmm. And to go back to your earlier comment, I'm tired too. Like it's tiring to, to, to face this, but what's the option right. to say what, you know, well, let someone else do it. It's like, no, we're in an emergency on the planet right now. It's well, burning up. It is an emergency. The planet. And the cult of Trump is an emergency. It's an existential crisis that we saw how close we came in 2022 to the end of this experiment. But, you know, the thing about cults, with the exception of the Moonies, which seems to have a model that works differently than the rest, it never seems to end well for the cult, whether it's the Manson gang or Jonestown or the Branch Davidians with Koresh. It never ends well. <laughs> How is it going to be different or will it be any different with Trump and Trumpism? Is Trump and Trumpism the Mooney model, which has long-term sustainability, or is Trump and Trumpism going to burn down like the Branch Davidian headquarters eventually? Is everybody going to take the cyanide or the equivalent of metaphorically? No, I think what they want is chaos and civil war. Putin wants uh, Americans to kill each other, uh, and so do the white nationalists, neo-Nazis, mm. etc., uh, the homophobes. And so I think there's going to be a lot of violence, and it really remains to be seen whether or not people who care about human rights and care about rule of law are going to prevail. Mm. And I don't think there's an option but to do everything in my power to to make sure we don't fail and to to warn people but there's no way to help uh resolve this without educating the public at scale about how to tell the difference between ethical influence and unethical influence and what's a healthy religious group and what's a authoritarian cult and to explain phobias and how to cure phobias and doing inoculation. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I have a course on my website to train mental health professionals and to help ex-members and families who are trying to rescue somebody to educate them and to mobilize the millions of former cult members that are currently in the United States. There are millions of us, mm -hmm. but a lot of people are still stigmatized and feel ashamed to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I love Spencer. He's like, yeah, I'm an attorney and I was in a cult for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And I gave a, a lot of money and a lot of my time and energy yep. to the secretive cult. The more of us that speak up, we can destigmatize it, we can normalize it, and we can use it as an opportunity to educate everyone else to say, hey, and this other piece about AI and the digital world is critical to understand because we're, we're not seeing the same news. Mm -hmm. It's, it's getting sculpted via AI through whatever platform we're watching through. And also it seems like when you look back on famous cults, Evans Gate, whatever, just pick your poison. In each of those cases, there was consensus, unity, and a concerted effort by media, by law enforcement, by government to crack down on these groups. Where Trumpism is different today is that 
government seems part of the cult. Yeah. Media, corporate media, you mentioned. Media seems part of the cult. Yep. It's like, how does... It's orchestrated. It is orchestrated. By, by billionaire authoritarians. And I really blame the the fossil fuel countries and corporations for being major actors in this who are buying off politicians and distracting everyone from the fact that we need to do an emergency global climate crisis shift and get away from fossil fuels because we're killing our habitat. And, and so, you know, they have this mentality somehow that greed is going to be a good thing and somehow they're not going to suffer the effects of the planet, you know, yeah. heating up. Seems like the and poison fish is being just, inedible. It's a very, it's where we are today to me just seems so complex and there's so many different parties involved and that's what makes it really frightening. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I literally, I, I have gotten to maybe 10% of my notes. So you are definitely going to have mm. to come back on. But I want to ask you a question, which I can guarantee you no one else has ever asked you. Okay, I'm ready. Drum roll. We here in the back room like to get a window into people's souls. And there's not a, a better way to do that than music. You mentioned Led Zeppelin before. So I want to know your top five musical artists of all time. <laughs> well, my wife and I met at Johnny D's in Somerville for a, a band called Beetlejuice, which is a Beatles cover band because uh -huh. we both are major Beatles fans. Me so too. they're very go. Bingo, very high up mm -hmm. uh, in in my list. That's I one. also grew up on Peter, Paul, and Mary. All right, That's and two. they still have a very strong, deep connection to my heart. I love Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. Three. Two more. You mentioned I Zeppelin love, before. Are they in the top five? I, I love Zeppelin. I love Eric Clapton. Mm -hmm. I love the Allman Brothers. So you're I'm a classic friends. rock guy. Classic rock, it's true. Mm -hmm. I do listen to a lot of classic rock. If we're going to name me, I have Love Me Do on my ringtone, my phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's that's how how am I doing? I think Is there you did, you did five. You did good. And yeah. I agree with you now, all, all, all the way. I do want to say, you know, music and art are universal things that are human that can go past yep. the brain and the fear thing. Singing songs together is just a great feeling. And I just think it's a wonderfully important thing to the human experience. Yeah, it worked very well for Charlie Manson. Music. <laughs> it's my friend John Atex working on a book on Charlie Manson because he realized that a lot of Charlie's stuff is from Scientology. He got all kinds of documents. But it's also music too. He he really effectively. He, it was a part of who he was, but he really knew how to use music Beach and boys, drugs, you know. And Neil Young apparently met yeah. Charlie Manson. Yeah. Well, don't forget David Koresh wanted to be a big rock star too. And I just found out w recently that. Be. Axl Rose on the 1992 Guns N' Roses album sang a Charles Manson song, Your Game Girl or whatever, on the album. That was so disturbing when I found that out. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on. This was really an eye-opener in so many ways. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I have a podcast, too, called The Influence Continuum. And last week I talked with a man who 
lived in China. And during the COVID protests, he shared that they had translated my bite model into Chinese and they were walking around protesting the COVID lockdown with blank white pieces of paper because they didn't want to get arrested. This is called the white paper movement. But behind the scenes, people were learning about authoritarian mind control in China, which was very uplifting. Well, that's good to know. I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. This episode of The Back Room was edited and produced by me, Andy Ostroyd. It was co-edited and co-produced by Maddie Rosenberg and co-produced by Jen Hamoud. Our theme song was composed by Andrew Hollander and our logo was designed by Cricket Langell. And special thanks to Patricia Wynn. If you like what we're doing here, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast and also follow or subscribe. Until next time, Keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards. Have a great week.